I want to set the stage really for what was going to be a two-part message anyway, but really the introduction to a study that I've entitled True Humility. And as we're celebrating Dr. King's birthday and his life tomorrow, I thought it very appropriate for us to speak of, of this humility that was found obviously in the Lord Jesus, but it's in rare supply in our world, and it was found in Dr. King's life. He was a humble, gentle man who believed in nonviolence and bringing about God's will in, in, a, in a time that was turmoil here in this country. And in a, in a world that still needs radical and drastic change. But he did it through humility. And I happened to pick up a, a book uh, that is a book of his prayers. I didn't even know it existed. It was published back in 2012 called Thou Dear God, Prayers That Open Hearts and Spirits. And as I was reading this prayer from Dr. King, it really helps us understand kind of the, the focus going forward of this humility that was found in Jesus, that the one true, truly humble person that's really ever walked this earth. This prayer, which is delivered to a group of pastors in a pastor's gathering just shortly before he was assassinated, for his life was taken far too soon, age 39. He was praying with some pastors. And as is happens to us regularly who are in the ministry, things that we're saying get recorded, and those recordings were then transcribed. And this is the transcription of that prayer. And he began, Thou eternal God, out of whose absolute power and infinite intelligence the whole universe has come into being. We humbly confess that we've not loved thee with our hearts and souls and minds, and we've not loved our neighbors as Christ has loved us. We've all too often lived by our own selfish impulses rather than by the life of sacrificial love as revealed by Christ. We often give in order to receive We love friends and hate our enemies. We go the first mile, but dare not travel the second. We forgive, but dare not forget. And so as we look within ourselves, we're confronted with the appalling fact that the history of our lives is the history of an eternal revolt against you. But thou, O God, have mercy upon us. Forgive us for what we could have been, but failed to be. Give us the intelligence to know your will. Give us the courage to do your will. Give us the devotion to love your will. In the name and in the spirit of Jesus Christ, amen. That's seeking the right thing. That's understanding the heart. That's understanding the mind of God. That's understanding humility. And as we begin here in verse 5, it begins with a simple statement. Let this mind be in you. If you happen to be one of those people who never mark your Bible, that's okay. But if you're a Bible marker, if this one is not already marked, underline it, highlight it, highlight it in red, put some margin notes, and put one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Because this mind that should be in us, this mind in you, this mind in me, 
which was also in Christ Jesus, was the mind that allowed the eternal God. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen? Jesus Christ, the living Word, was in heaven before he came to earth. And so this mind that's supposed to be in us is the humble mind of Christ that left the glories of heaven to come to this wretched earth to save you, me, us, to as many as believed. That's the mind. That's real humility. That's as far as the east can be from the west. That's heaven to earth. That It gets no further than that. And so as we begin our journey here in these few verses, let's pray and ask God to speak through the power of his word. Lord, we have come again just that you would speak to us. Lord Jesus, that you would humble yourself and depart the glories of heaven, leaving behind your splendor, your majesty, your Shekinah. Lord, the very splendor of God you left in heaven to come to this earth, to be born in a manger, to be raised by a couple of frail parents, to be the son of a carpenter, to be a carpenter yourself, to travel the dusty roads of Judea. Lord, you put off heaven to come here. And we bless you. Lord, we have no way to even understand the greatness of that descent. But you did because you love us. Lord, help us to have the same humility. Lord, help us to not count our own lives dear. Would you bless us now as we study in these few moments your holy and infallible word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus Christ has always been God. He was God in heaven before he was God on earth. He is now and always will be God's only Son, but nonetheless fully God. And so he made himself of no reputation. Can you imagine what it took for God incarnate in human flesh to stand before Pontius Pilate and say nothing? Can you imagine what it was like with the God who created heaven and earth to have no place to put his head? Can you imagine the God that has created all of humankind responsible for the creation to be manhandled by the creation he created and ultimately killed by it. Can you imagine that kind of humility? I can't. What he put off to come here to be with us is beyond our knowing. Taking the form of a bondservant, it wasn't bad enough that he came here, but he took the lowest of the low positions. And coming in the likeness of men. 
He could have come as an angel. He could have come as some supreme being. He could have come full of glory with an entourage of angels. He could have come in any way, shape, or form. But in order that he would be able to identify with us, how does Jesus come? With none of the glory of heaven. None of it. The only glory that we really see in Jesus' life initially is the star that shines and maybe this glory that's in the manger. And from there, Jesus walked like you walked. He got hungry like you get hungry. He had friends that despised him and hated him and left him for dead. He had all the same problems you have. And when Scripture declares that no man can see God and live, Jesus Christ actually could not have come in his glory, for to do so would have wiped out the very people he came to save. And so he put off his glory, made himself of no reputation. How many of us are willing to say, well, I'm doctor so-and-so, but to you I'm just Jeff. I just want you to know Jesus. I don't really care what you think about me. I just want you to know my Savior. That kind of humility. It's always interesting to me. Sometimes, you know, people will hand me their cards and there's like 400 acronyms on their card. It goes around to the back. You know, it's PhD, one, two, three, KFC, LMNOP. You know, it just <laughs> keeps, keeps going, you know. Can you imagine the card Jesus would have handled, handed you? Creator of the entire universe, magistrate of heaven, rightful judge, glorious one, the Alpha, the Omega. Can you imagine all of his names on a card? He didn't do that. He didn't come in splendid majesty. He came in humility so that we could know exactly how much he loves us. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. You see, he actually, as God, could have remained exactly as he is, eternal. But he even humbled himself to die. The death of the cross wasn't bad enough that he died, but he died the most horrific death that one could die. And therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the Name which is above every name. There is no other name, not in heaven, not on earth, not under the earth, that surpasses the name of Jesus. And yet, is the definition of humility. Is that not a contradiction in your own mind? It is in mine. You see, with mankind, we think of exalting those things that maybe make us unique or different. And yet Jesus didn't exalt himself in any way, shape, or form. Matter of fact, he diminished himself so that the lowest of us could identify with him as Savior and Lord and friend. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those in heaven The angels bow to Jesus. Cherubim bow to Jesus. The saints in heaven bow to Jesus. Those on this earth 
We're here today because we willingly bow, but one day even those under the earth will bow to the name of Jesus. That's going to be the saddest day in the history of the universe when God finally says, enough. It's time for the glory of my son to be revealed even to those who have rejected him. But even those who have, Satan himself will one day bow to the name of Jesus. Those under the earth that every tongue should confess. You see, every tongue one day, doesn't matter believer or unbeliever, every tongue one day will actually confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, for us, that's a glorious thing to say. Jesus is Lord, amen? How about the demons? They're going to get it one day. The Antichrist will understand it one day. The devil will understand it one day, and they too will bow because he humbled himself and became a man, became our Savior. One of the men that greatly influenced Dr. King's life was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I happen to have a book that I'm reading right now, and I thought it would be appropriate to share a couple of things. And and Dr. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed. For those of you that don't know, he was actually a Lutheran pastor. And as a pastor, he believed that his duty to act uh, to stem the tide of evil came from God. And so he, along with about 15 others, plotted uh, on July 20th of 1945 to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And they were nearly successful. It would only be a short time after that that the Second World War would come to a close. But the Nazis, towards the end of the war, gathered up pretty much anybody that was against them and began to rapid fire uh, take them to, to their death. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his last moments, he was actually hung just a month before the prison that he was in at Flossenburg was liberated. A camp doctor who witnessed that execution, who later became a Christian but at the time was not a Christian, said this. He said, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor praying fervently to God. And I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. Now bear in mind he's praying before he's going to be executed by being hung with a piano wire. And he knew that. And at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed a few steps to the gallows. Brave and composed, his death ensued in just a matter of minutes. In almost 50 years that I had worked as a doctor, the full length of the Second World War, hardly have I ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. That's humility. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would influence the life of Dr. King and also Bishop Desmond Tutu. Both of them read quite extensively And in Dietrich's book, Life Together, I think he hit on a place that we can examine today because one of the problems that we have is that we really live in a world that is the antithesis of humility. We live in a world that rejects humility, actually scorns humility, finds humility at some times and in many cases offensive. It's as if it's a weakness. 
He said this in that book, Life Together, every personality cult that is concerned with important qualities, outstanding abilities, strengths, talents of someone else, even though these may be thoroughly spiritual in nature. In other words, he's speaking of pastors. Is worldly and has no place in the Christian community. Indeed, it poisons that community. The demand one hears so often today, now bear in mind this was written in 1944. The demand that one so often hears today for powerful personalities springs too often from the spiritually sick need for the admiration of people. Kind of sounds like our world today, except even worse. For the erection of visible structures of human authority, and here's the clincher. Because the genuine authority of a simple, humble servant seems too unimportant. You see, humility is a gift. Christ brought that gift to this earth. And I want to share with you just a couple of minutes. Bear with me if you would be so kind. We'll run a few minutes late. We will not give your children away. I want to just simply share with you five things that I, over my time in ministry, have really come to understand. Charles Swindoll put some of them in a book. I added a few more. Really what humility doesn't look like. And then as we pick up next week, we'll be able to really dig into this passage. But there are five things that I believe are the greatest problems to us in our walks as Christians and certainly in ministry itself. And they are these. Authoritarianism. That simply put is the lack of a servant's heart. Jesus expressed that he came to this world for the specific reason not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for yours, mine. So authoritarianism, that which says there is a Christian caste system or there's a system of hierarchy and authority whereby someone is greater than someone else, is not of God. We have different roles, different gifts, different talents, different skills that God's given us, things that we can use in ministry. But at the end of the day, Pastor Jeff is still a sheep. Amen? I'm part of the flock too, and so is every person who has ever walked this earth. And part of humility is acknowledging the fact that one day I'm answering to the same Lord that you will answer to. And so it keeps us from being more authoritarian than really is ever necessary. There is a negative side to that. It's one thing to be respected. It's another thing to use that respect as a weapon or a tool. Exclusivity. And what I mean by that quite simply is this. Sometimes we think that we alone are correct. We alone are right. We alone have a market somehow on godliness, or perhaps we're spiritually superior to someone else. The only thing that I can tell you after 30 years in ministry is the only one I'm superior to in ministry is the child who hasn't learned to think yet. 
There, there is no superiority complex in the body of Christ, and there is no exclusivity. I have learned more from kids that are 8 and 10 years old at times than I have from all the books that I've ever read. They've managed to communicate some deep spiritual principle to me that I would have never gleaned had it not been for the mind of a child. And so we can all learn things. We can all grow. We all have things to give, and we all have things we desperately need. There are no favorites. And because there are no favorites, there are also no second-class citizens in heaven. God sees us all as the beloved, his precious family, and he loves us all as his children. Greed, and what I mean by that is the overemphasis of money, power, possessions, positions. The, the constant striving after for the sake of somehow calling it ministry or somehow calling it spiritual, to, to give any attention to the things of this world that takes away from the humble character of Christ is wrong. And the reason I say that is somehow we've gotten confused that, you know, maybe pastors should be entitled to have $50 million jets. In Jesus' name, that is an abomination. That's an abomination. None of us need that type of ability. If you need to fly someplace, you can hire one of those. You don't need to buy one of them. And the reason I'm saying that is we often associate wealth and power with personality instead of the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ is he didn't even have a place to put his head. He carried no money bag, none. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't have our needs met and you shouldn't have your, and I need, you know, we have certain needs, but God knows our needs and he says he'll meet those needs. But to build a ministry on the accumulation of things or to build our lives for the accumulation of things, power, passion, possession, position, money, is not humble. A fourth thing, rationalization. And what I mean by that is this. We, we justify why we're doing what we're doing because somehow we equate it with a spiritual reason. And we simply have a defensive spirit or we try and justify our own wrongdoing by trying to make someone else look as though they are less than we. Jesus never did that. He could have won every argument he ever had while he was on this earth. Amen? He could have walked up to the Pharisees and go, well, you're just wrong. And they would have, you know, fallen down in a pile of dust. He could have done that as God. But he didn't rationalize the fact that they were weaker than he, and so he demeaned them or treated them poorly. He actually engaged them in conversation, even people with whom he vehemently disagreed. We need to be careful not to gloss over our, our own personal place, those things that we ourselves are, are growing in uh, so that we can diminish the position of someone else. That's not humility. That's lording over. That harms other people. We need to be kind. Even if we're right, we still need to be kind and gentle. And then finally, and we'll close with this thought, 
And we'll pray. Unaccountability. Family of God, your Bible does not teach that you are only accountable to God. You are accountable to God. All of us will stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged for the things we've done in this body, whether good or bad. That's true. Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth. But you're also accountable to each other. You're accountable to the Word. Matter of fact, we've been called to actually inspect the fruit that is in the trees of the body of Christ so that we can see whether it's good or bad. We're actually accountable to God's Word and to Him alone. That makes you very humble because here's what happens. Not a person in here is perfect. And so if we're actually accountable to God first and then to everyone else, and we're all part of this one family called the beloved, the sheep, then ultimately we have a humility about us that says, you know, I might just possibly be wrong. And I need to accept those things which maybe someone might come to me. And I've had them happen, even as a pastor. Someone will come, well, you said this. Our first response is as human beings, no, I didn't. Then I realize that everything I said gets recorded three times. And so they, they tell me to go listen online or watch the video, and I'm like, oh, be accountable. Realize that we're not perfect. And let other people into your life and be humble. You see, if we take humility into the world, we attract a lot of people. Because most people are kind of tired of getting beat up and beat down. Amen? They need to be lifted up, taken out of the mire, out of the muck, and humbly set upon the rock, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if we do all the things that we do with extra humility, recognizing apart from his grace, none of us would get there, this world's going to be a better place. It's going to be a place like Dr. King envisioned. A place where not only can we all get along, but we all know the same Savior and serve him. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you've done today. Lord, that you would let us worship you, that you've given us your word. And Lord, this thing that's so hard for us to glean, Lord, humility, to set aside our own humanness and to take upon us this incredible self-sacrificial love and life that you, Jesus, exemplified. God, we thank you that it is possible by your spirit. And we do ask, God, that you'd give us deeper humility Lord, help us to recognize that nothing on this earth belongs to us. It all belongs to you. That all glory and honor and praise belongs to our God. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for forgiving us. And pray, Lord, we even pray humbly. We ask, God, would you please bless us? We need your blessings. We need your care, your concern. And so we humbly ask you, as your children, bless us indeed, O God. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in the name above all names, Jesus. Amen. Amen.